Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Each week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Labyrinth, released in 1986 and directed by Jim Henson. 15-year-old Sarah accidentally wishes her baby half-brother, Toby, away to the Goblin King, Jareth, who will keep Toby if Sarah does not complete his labyrinth in 13 hours. Yes. Yes, that's the vague outline. Have you seen this before? Oh, yes. Many times. Oh, okay. You're one of the normal people. (laughs) Yes, you have an abnormal childhood experience where you saw nothing good ever. It's not true. I saw some good things. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. But not this. Yeah. So you saw it when you were quite small? Actually, no, I don't think so. I think this was one of the movies that I saw uh, when I was a teenager living in Japan. Um, I would go down to the video store and it was really, really hard to tell what was appropriate for kids and what wasn't Mm -hmm. because in Japan they don't have things like ratings uh, and they also don't have any indication from the DVD case of what's actually inside. So even animation obviously wasn't safe. So um, I would just pick a lot of 80s movies. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, I tended to be fairly safe with those. And I think this is one of the ones that I picked for that time when I was having to find movies to watch with my sister. Fair enough. I I was one of the great joys of looking through the IMDb page of Labyrinth is reading the parental advice. (laughs) One of the great joys of looking through any movie on IMDb is reading the parental advice stuff because it's the most hilariously conservative parental advice you'll ever read. But yeah, there was definitely some sort of probably being a teenager watching it would be just about perfect. Well, yeah, I was um, talking to a friend of ours about uh, his nephew watching this movie and I suggested possibly if he was going to watch it, skipping the scene with the pink puppets that take their heads off. Yeah. Like that to me is the most disturbing scene in the whole thing and so pointless. It's so pointless. Like I love this movie, but in a lot of my favorite movies, there's always one scene that like I don't like and doesn't fit and just annoys me. And in this movie, that's it. Oh, I wasn't completely bothered by that one. It probably went on a little too long. It goes on too long. You can't understand what they're singing at all. Like with the other scenes, at least I can sort of understand what's going on. But they sing a whole song that I can't understand a single word of. And then they get really disturbing once they take the heads off and they're like, we're going to take your head off and all that sort of thing. So, And then it doesn't give anything to the movie. Mm. It doesn't contribute to the movie. So anyway, yeah, I, I hate that scene. Mm-hmm. And this is <laughs> the first thing I'm saying is negative, but I love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I love this movie. This is like one of those cult classic sort of things. Mm, it is. And I, I've always meant to see it. So we were the Dendy Cinemas here is running running a series of cult classics every Monday night, so we decided to go along to this one when it was on. So, and I'm I'm glad I have seen it, and it's a really um ambitious is where I, what I want to say about it. It's so different from anything else you'll ever see, and yeah. um again, given that of course it's directed by Jim Henson and it's got all the Henson creatures and stuff, you, of course you expect amazing creatures and interesting things like that. But it really is um quite out there in terms of visual effects and special effects and. The most, the most important, coolest bit of the lot. We've got a teenage girl as our lead, and it's all, but everything is driven by her and her own agency. Mm. And that, to me, was just the most exciting bit of the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie for you know for teaching teenage girls good lessons and things like that. I mean, basically, it's the Wizard of Oz. That's sort of what it's come down to. You see the Wizard of Oz, in fact, in a couple of scenes. You see yep. the book, and uh, I think instead of red shoes, she has this red lipstick. Yes. that sort of symbolizes her transition from childhood to adulthood and stuff like that. Uh, and the three companions that she makes along the way, I'm not sure which one is supposed to be getting a heart or a brain or courage or whatever, but they sort of mirror the mm. people, the um, 
people that Dorothy meets. So it's a bit like that. But this is such a great sort of feminist movie, really. Uh, she is such a sort of – she's a great character because you, she starts out sympathetic but whiny. Mm. Uh, much like Luke Skywalker, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> like she, you, you know, you kind of feel for her, but at the same time, you're just like, oh, your life is not that bad. She's sitting there, oh, it's so unfair. You make me babysit my little brother when I have nothing else to do. Yeah. Her parents are going out on a date night and like, oh, you just did this. And they're like, a whole week ago. <laughs> they have and, a baby for crying out loud. Good and they're like, we don't, we don't do it if you have plans. And she's like, you didn't know if I had plans. And you're like, well, you would have told them if you did, asked. surely. Like, I don't really understand, you know, she's just yeah, it's- overdramatic and she hates her little brother, I think, mm. for various reasons. I think there's some sort of hint that the stepmother is, um, yeah, there's issues, with the there's issues there and so he's a half-brother and that's kind of a problem for her and that sort of thing. Mm. But uh, up until, also there's this great sort of thing where up until a certain moment in the film, you don't see a single puppet. Mm. There's no sort of indication that this is anything that's like a supernatural strange film. Right, that whole opening sequence where she's just playing in the park, uh, and then suddenly this, she says something about the Goblin King, and suddenly you see this whole sea of goblins just staring out at the audience, and they start talking, and you're like, "What the hell is this? Mm. People must have gone crazy when they saw that the first time. It's mm. so cool. It is really cool. I'm sure there were a few little kids in the audience who went, because <laughs> yeah. people probably went, "Oh, it's a Jim Henson movie. It'll be fine," and they took their kids along. <laughs> <laughs> but that is it's so, so like they just yeah. the goblins are just looking right at you mm. waiting for her to say this they're looking at us um it's i liked that yeah i didn't no, really pay attention to it before on the small screen i suppose oh okay i didn't i because it was my first time through i can't i can't specifically remember what you mean but i, I do i do know that it was kind of once uh we start to head over into the supernatural it no, gets it's, really cool yeah there's this whole thing she's in the park she comes home yeah no, oh, why I are you making me babysit and then she's talking to toby right and she's like uh she says oh goblin king goblin king and suddenly you see just the, the first scene of any puppet that you see is an entire like wall of goblin faces mm. and they're saying say it say it at yeah the audience basically Right. So I, they're, they're sort of kind of inviting the audience into their world yeah. along with Sarah. Was, I just – it's something that I hadn't – I guess it wouldn't stand out as much if you haven't seen it before. No. But because I have and I didn't really remember that, it stood out a lot for me. I really liked that bit. And that was where um, it became really obvious that the script is a Monty, uh, written by someone from Monty Python. Yeah. Because it's just hilariously cute and they, they're just – being all silly about how she says it and what she says in The Goblin King. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought that was really cute. And then once you get into her um, – into her room. I can't remember if it's before the Goblin King enters in a sea of glitter, which was just fabulous. <laughs> David Bowie's ent- David Bowie's whole thing. It's almost like I don't know if it was a joke. Like he he, he plays it completely straight and completely serious. But I don't. I can't imagine being on set. He wouldn't have just kind of thought how silly he was. To silly say he it plays was. it straight. I don't know. I think he. I think he sort of gets more than almost anybody in the movie, actually, what this movie is. Uh, because he is playing it kind of uh, – he – he. how do I explain it? He's sort of flouncing around in this thing. Right. Like, he is over the top as mm. as he can no, be. Yeah, that's what I mean. He completely commits to it. Yeah, exactly. And he so- commits to it, but he's not – I don't think that means he's taking it – he's serious about it. I think he's, like, uh, committing to it and putting everything into it, but not – 
like it doesn't take itself too seriously. I don't no. think he does either. I think he sort of gets the tone of the movie, and I think that's one of the reasons it works so well. But there's also this kind of to- undertone of like female sexuality involved mm. because she's attracted to him at the same time as being repulsed by his controlling impulses and things. Mm, yes. Uh, it's it's this really interesting sort of thing. Like, you can see it being a kind of allegory for an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, he kidnaps her little brother and tries to force her to do things, but at the same time she's kind of attracted to him, and you can see why. I think most people are kind of attracted to and repulsed by him at the same time. And he's got those tights on with oh his package just on display and the huge mullet. And, and the glitter everywhere and the makeup. And he's really gorgeous. Like he, I know. That's it. Beautifully androgynous. I mean, terrible, terrible teeth. Like, I didn't realize how bad his teeth were. Whoa, <laughs> British teeth. But gorgeous. Like, especially with all that makeup on. Yeah. He looks so feminine and pretty, and which is, of course, one of those uh, – Teenage girl things, yeah, exactly. Them, like, so it, pretty boys. It, it's so. And, and but the thing is, at the end, she rejects him. Yeah, good. And and she comes up against like basically, you know, c- takes control of her own female power and is like, "You have no power over me," which is the famous line. Uh, I love that whole sequence at the end where he does the, um, "Just fear me, love me, do as I say, and I'll be your slave." Mm. And and she just completely rejects him, and he's. He so wants her and, and and she finds out that she doesn't want him. I love that stuff. It's mm. great. Oh no, it's it's definitely I yeah, that was what got me was that, that ending where she just really fights and doesn't give up and mm. knows what she has to do and knows to do the right thing. I think that was um actually one of the good things about this character is the and the reason that she is likable at the start, even though she's totally whiny with her oh, it's not fair all the time <laughs> i wonder what your basis for comparison is yes um, another line even from the movie. straight away as soon as the brother disappears she knows she's done the wrong thing and that mm. the right thing to do is to go and get him back so she's obviously I, I i like what it says about being a teenager i think maybe this comes at having seeing it as an adult and having a different perspective on being a teenager but i like that what it says about being a teenager that you're just a good you're mostly a good kid but you've got a very particularly self-centered view of the world because that's the stage of life you're in and that, and that's fine but it takes a particular journey to make you grow up from that and realize that life isn't fair and you sometimes have to fight for what's right yeah and there's all these little allegorical scenes like the one where she forgets everything and she's in her room and and there's the trash lady giving her all the stuff yeah all of her toys and she just rejects all of her childish things, yes, puts away her childish away. things, yeah. and and she goes, "No, I have to find my brother. I remember. I know what I, what's important. I love that bit. Yeah, I mean the whole thing really is well done. Yeah, the, the whole thing is really well done. And then there's all these little fun bits in between with the puppets and the and her um, using her intellect to overcome barriers that come across her way, and or finding people to help her friends to help her along the way. Uh, she's very open-minded about the friends that she makes. Yeah, she's She great. sees things that could potentially be scary, and instead of being afraid of them, she tries to understand them. Yeah. It's, it's full of good messages. It is. It's a lovely little movie. <laughs> I think I just um, – I, I mean, I, I certainly enjoyed it when I watched it, but I did have that moment of – so this is what all the fuss is all about. Is about obviously now that I, I, I can see why it's clever and why it appeals to people. I just had that moment where I was watching it and I was thinking, huh? So this is labyrinth. <laughs> I think it it date it's dated mm, for one yes. thing. The clothes and the music. Although I love the music in this, David Bowie sings his heart out in a bunch of songs that are all terrific. Uh, 
I think they're great. I think but they it, are dated. They're dated, but it totally benefits from those little musical numbers every, oh, yeah. every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, to lift the tone. Because mm. sometimes it can get a bit, like, because it's just her going through Labyrinth a lot, it can get a bit sort of repetitive, and that's mm. when they break it up with a musical moment or something a bit different. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And and things like that. I mean, there's also the really famous um, As the World Falls Down scene. Yes. I want to find out what you thought of it before I say anything. Which scene is that? The, the one with her in the ball gown and the giant oh. hair in the bubble. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, the little bit of teenage girl wish fulfillment there. That's basically how I read it because that was all about her and her attraction to the Goblin King and her sort of teenage desire to make it be all about her and live in a bubble and not have to worry about other people. And so, uh, yeah, I mean – it was very, very pretty and lovely to look at, but I sort of, the same time it was going on, I was just like, oh, come on, get out of it, snap out of it. Okay. I just think it's interesting because I don't, I can't sort of go back and s- say what it was like for me the first time because it was such a long time ago and I yep. don't remember if I felt that. No. Um, that's sort of like his seduction scene as well, like mm. that's their romantic scene together, mm, I suppose. Which I think it's why, because he it bothered me, the the um, relationship between them. I was just yeah. like, oh, no, don't go down. So that's why I had that reaction to it. I was, I could see why it was, um, why, why it would appeal to her and why it possibly might appeal to teenage girls watching. But it, it, I think I was just watching going, no, no, run away, get away from that. You need to go back to what you're doing. Right, which is why it's yeah. so great when she does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when she does snap out of it and she mm-hmm. does reject him and everything. Um, and it is pretty. Yeah. I mean, it's oh my a gosh. gorgeously shot scene. Apart from that thing that they had over it to make it look like it was in the bubble, yep. every so often that was jarring. But other than that, it just looks great. And all the spinning mm. and like that dreamlike sort of effect of everybody spinning around them and everything spinning all the time. Mm. And, and it must have I been like so much scene. fun just with the costumes and the hair yeah. and the silliness of it all. Like having to run around in jeans and a puffy shirt and a vest all, you know, for three months, she probably really enjoyed whatever day it was where she got to shoot that scene. Yeah. Yeah, that that outfit is <laughs> the Sarah outfit the, with that puffy shirt and vest. It's so dated. Mm, the mum jeans. And the mum jeans, yeah. Yeah. And her- um, there's something else I noticed on Hoggle. Mm. I think a lot of these things that I noticed as well, you don't notice on the small screen. Right. It was such a benefit to me getting to see it on the big screen because Hoggle's costume is amazing. He has little creatures on his vest and there's one on his back and the strap for his um, little pouch thing goes through the mouth of this creature that's on the back of his vest. Oh, wow. I know. It's so cool. so clever. There's all that sort of stuff in this where there's one creature that has another creature as a part of it or they're part of doors or everything is alive. It's interesting. Mm. No, I I, I agree. And you certainly – you see that in a lot of – Things that are in the background, there's you know heads and faces and things mm. everywhere, and every and you're not quite sure what's alive, what's not, what's a door, what's a yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, it's it it's so in keeping with this world that they've created. Like they mm. know exactly what this world is, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of world building and detail in all of the shots in the background, and like the whole labyrinth is kind of very very carefully drawn. Oh, yes. Okay, before I forget. There is a fantastic theory on the internet oh. about this movie, and I have to tell you, tell it to you. Please do. Uh, the theory goes that Jareth was once a prince in the mortal world, and he fell in love with a girl called Sarah, 
Right. And he built her this amazing castle. But time passed differently in the world where he went to build the castle than what it um, than what it did in the mortal world. Yeah. So when he came back to the mortal world, Sarah was dead. <gasps> and then after that, he became obsessed with f- sort of finding her again. Mm. And so he kept fi- uh, he wrote the book, the labyrinth book, mm. and he sent it out into the world. Mm-hmm. And then t- girls called Sarah would read it. Yes. And then he would come and take their little brothers and every every single baby that he took would turn into a goblin. And every Sarah would come and go through the labyrinth and fail the labyrinth oh. so that he could have some time with an, with Sarah again. And so when Sarah comes to the labyrinth a couple of times, there's uh, when she's talking to Hoggle and also when she's talking to the worm, mm. they go, she they ask her who she is and she says, I'm Sarah. And Hoggle says, I thought so. And then I think the worm says, of course you are. Because of course it's Sarah. They're all Sarah. Oh, it's such a cool theory, and I have to find the link and put it in the show notes today. Yeah, definitely do. Wow, that's really cool. I like that. I love it. I think it's the most popular theory on the internet about it, but it's such a great idea. I had so much more mundane reading of it. Wow. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think the most common reading of it, just as with the Wizard of Oz, is that it's a a dream. Dream was my yeah. Yeah, and it teaches her the tools she needs to become an adult. Yeah, and that was sort of indicated by the fact that even at the start, we really quite obviously see in her room um, where the wild things are, the Wizard of Oz, all her different toys that actually turn into the creatures that she meets. Mm. Yeah, so I had – that was – I just read it pretty straight up that way, but I I like that theory better. Yeah, I know. It's a great theory. It's so much cooler. Yeah. We should – but there's also that whole, uh, of course, this is in your head, but why should that mean it isn't real sort of idea? Oh, yeah. Yeah, God. which I like. I like that too. Um, yeah, and it's, I, I think I appreciated it more on the big screen. It was really exciting for me to see it on the Do you know what I appreciated though? I appreciated that they didn't make it clear whether it was or wasn't a dream mm. because it, for, for that exact reason, that Harry Potter thing about just because it's happening in your head doesn't make it any less real. Right. I thought that was important that they, did, they didn't actually say that. And, of course, that's the kind of thing that comes from Henson and Monty Python and the people behind this. Mm. They, yeah, I, I thought that was really nice. That it's a great collaboration. Isn't it wonderful? I think George Lucas produced. Yeah. It's every cool person from the 80s is in this. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is it, it works really well together. All of their different styles kind of come together really nicely to create this particular story and this particular world. Mm. Uh, it's so... And it is. It has that kind of anarchic sense of humour. Yes. Of Monty Python, like every time that she thinks she's getting anywhere, she isn't because something has happened to ruin it. Uh, but in really funny ways. And the the puppets are all beautifully re- realised and very clever, and and they look great. That's uh, so and- well done. I was reading a bit about the puppets. They. It was like three different pe- – it takes like three different people to make Hoggle happen and mm. Ludo had to be played by two different actors because the suit was so heavy and they just are so amazing. I never quite get over how well realised these characters uh, – puppet characters can become. Yeah. Every time I see it, it amazes me, even though I've seen it from everywhere from Sesame Street to Avenue Q. You just, I love the way they make them come alive. It's just so cool. There's other things, though, not just the puppets, but loads of different things in this with practical effects and all that sort of stuff, like the hands that she falls down. Oh, yeah. And then they start talking, uh, which reminded me a little bit of a Sesame Street but darker sort of thing. Yeah. I, uh, the helping hands. Like- and then the, the when they walk down through that tunnel, there's also the the – what are they called? The guys who were – 
the statues or the faces yeah. that are like, don't go this way, go um, back. That was one of my favourites. And the one who's, who's uh, if he's in this broad northern accent, oh, just let me do it. It's been so long since I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so cute. I know. And everything is like, they all have personalities and mm. like, you know, we're all this really, really alive, Loved vibrant that. world that they're in. And at one point they have to hide from this big scary monster that is the cleaners coming to clean out the tunnels the cleaners is so great yeah because you just see this huge scary like metal thing come towards them and then they get away from it and as soon as it passes you see the little tiny puppets on the back you know moving it just doing their job it's great it's so funny i know that was really great i like that too (laughs) and that yeah that all like I I think this was the first time I realized that it was a Monty Python person. It was Terry Jones. Terry Jones. Yeah. Yep. So I saw his name at the beginning and I was like, oh. But yeah, suddenly all of that sort of stuff makes sense. Yes, makes a lot of sense. And the whole yeah. like bog of eternal stench and yes. things like that. And the yeah. um you're trying to pass the bridge with the little guy who's like, Nobody shall pass without my permission. Uh, may I have your permission? Uh, oh, oh, uh, yes, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And his name is not Sir Cadagan. What is it? Oh. Cadigan. Uh, what, is, what is it? No, uh, Sir f- f- something. I don't know. I should know that. I, do, I used I, to know that. I love the bit at the end where the dog comes back and he's Ambrosius. Ambrosius is the dog, Oh, my yeah. gosh. That's so funny. I also love that Sir Thingy is a dog puppet and <laughs> he rides a dog. <laughs> like a real dog. It just, yeah. It's so it's odd and cute. funny. Um, Sir Didymus. Didymus, that's it. Mm. And their whole siege of the Goblin City is pretty cool too, that little action sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Super well done. Um, but yeah, there's, there's – it's also such uh, – like, for me, it's such a delight every time David Bowie comes back because he's so insane in this and it's so much fun. I know. He's – he is mad and, som- and sometimes totally creepy and I'm not – I don't really yeah. cope very well with it, but – most of the time, he's just – it's very – you know something good's happening when the Goblin King turns up. Yeah, but he's he can be – that's the thing is that he turns on a dime. He can be, like, creepy and alluring and Hilarious. funny. And, yeah, exactly. Mm. And menacing. Mm. Um, and it's all in that one – I mean, that's one of the reasons why he's such a classic villain mm. is that it's all of those things. Yeah. And there's an appeal to him, but at the same time, it's like, ugh. It's quite impressive what happens with so few – characters like there's a couple there's a couple of humans and about four char- uh, creatures and that's it in the whole thing well no not main cat i mean as the main people but there's yeah. heaps and heaps and heaps of other creatures around plus you see her parents yeah and toby very but like the lack of humans is yes. quite but there's loads of i mean all the goblins marks. uh and some of the goblins have different personalities and then there's that guy with oh, the, the bird yeah. Uh, the, there's a guy that they she asks for advice and he has a bird hat. Yes. And the bird yeah. hat is also alive. Yeah, that was, yeah, oh, that that was great. Sort of stuff. I mean, there's a whole they, – they come across so many characters in that world. Mm-hmm. But as far as the main characters go – and you don't even see Ludo till halfway through the no, film. and then So Didymus doesn't come in until right near the end. So. Right, yeah, which is how um, The Wizard of Oz works as well. Like she meets – it's she's not doesn't meet them all at once. They come no. in bit I by know, bit. I know, but I feel like they still come in earlier than that. Maybe they do. I don't know. It's hard to remember. Because um, the Cowardly Lion she meets and then that's even before she gets to – she has then to get to the Emerald City and then after that she goes to the Witch's Castle and they have the Witch's Castle stuff. She meets them all before the the Emerald City. Yeah. Yeah. So there's – I think – I feel like there's more 
time together stuff as, afterwards. as a team yeah. to bond. Yeah. It does take a while to get Particularly to with Ludo. Sir Didymus because Ludo, uh, she has sort of this instant connection with. Yeah. But when you first meet Sir Didymus, you don't know he's going to be no. so much part of the story. Oh, and I love that scene where the gate comes to life and becomes the big metal uh, robot monster yes. thing. Yes, 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 yes. And it's being driven by another puppet. Oh. <laughs> and Hoggle comes down and saves them. Yeah. I like that bit. Uh, and there's the cardboard spikes behind them that wobble when they bump into them. I didn't I'm, – I'm trying to remember that, but I missed it. I Maybe I wasn't – I, I think that was just something I noticed because, again, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. my hundredth yeah. time I watched it and I'd never <laughs> seen it. Like she she backs into the spikes and the spike wobbles. wobbles. <laughs> it looks like something out of um, Plan 9 from Outer Space or something. On Star Trek, yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's not good. fun. But, yeah, anyway. Uh. Anyway, I I don't actually have a lot more to say. I've kind of I can't I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, ha- I had fun. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to be one of these people who loves it the way that I would probably have loved it if I'd seen it a hundred times on video. But I did. I had a, I had a very good time watching this, and I just kind of loved the audacity of it. Mm. It's different and out there, and it's just it's trying to make an interesting kids movie in a way that you just don't see nowadays. And yeah, just doing something a little bit different, taking. Jim Henson had probably at that point been working on you know Muppets and Sesame Street and things like that a lot, and I think it was nice for him to have this kind of opportunity to let his his imagination run a bit more wild and try to go to sort of darker places than I don't remember if this Sesame is before Street. or asked after Dark Crystal. Uh, I can have you look heard of the Dark Crystal? Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's um, the old puppet one with the Skeksis and the little impy things. Uh, the Dark Crystal was before this, like there you a few go. years before. Okay, because mm-hmm. that's dark. Okay. I mean, that's really dark. Probably darker than the Labyrinth. Which um, is why I haven't heard of it because it didn't become a, a cult classic in the same way. I don't know. There's a lot of people who really love the Dark Crystal. Mm. I wasn't such a fan of it. Mm. Uh, it's it's sort of hard fantasy actually. Oh. Um. So and but the Skeksis are, are really scary. Okay. Um, and there's some good points to it as well, but it, yeah, I've never been been quite as much of a fan of it. And mm. the, I don't like the uh, the narrative of that one as much. I think the narrative of this one is really interesting. Yeah, and there's a lot of ideas in there that maybe you wouldn't notice when you first see it, mm. but it's and it is you know fun for kids as well, mm. older kids. Yeah, yeah, possibly not the little ones. It might be a bit scary. No, whereas Labyrinth is a lot more broad, and you can certainly watch it with fairly young. Like I'd say primary school age kids probably be okay with this one. Yeah. Mm. No, it's good. And and again, it has lots of ideas that you might not see necessarily on your first viewing or when if you're just casually watching it or yeah. yeah it's, and it's there's clever. that staircase, the MC Escher staircase at the end, mm. which for many people like me when they saw MC Escher stuff were like, "Oh, look, it's the labyrinth staircase." Oh, okay. <laughs> see, I was I saw it and I was like, "Oh, the Escher's I'm the daughter of a maths teacher, so I saw Escher stuff around my house from when I was very small." So, yeah. to me it was like, "Oh, it's an Escher staircase." <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of people would have gone looked at Escher's stuff after they saw this movie and went, oh, the labyrinth. look, a labyrinth staircase. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> with Toby all always away from her while David mm-hmm. Bowie sings. Yeah. <laughs> the music also fits the mo- mood of the m- movie so well. It just oh, feels yeah. like it's one of those movies where everything kind of came together yeah. well. Like it all just... Well, I think they let all the different creatives do their thing. Like they, they had an idea. Mm. But they knew that writing the screenplay wasn't their strong point, so they brought in someone funny who they knew could do a good job of that. They they knew that they did puppets well, so they let their puppet masters just run wild and 
do as much world building and creation as they could. They knew that they weren't necessarily up on the marketing and whatnot. So they brought in George Lucas to help out make get it made. Like I think that I think they really did uh, use everyone's talents quite well. Yeah, and, and it all and, worked oh, well because and Bowie, a- I forgot, I, and where I was leading to with that was, but and they brought in they had David Bowie come in to play this character. And what he does best is sing. So they let him loose with the music as well. And I think they just kind of were able to harness the teamwork. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it wouldn't have happened without one, like, sort of coherent vision about what everything should have Which is the, been what like. the Henson guys had. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why it works so well. It's like they had a coherent vision, but everybody had kind of their creative freedom. Yeah. And it all comes together in this real complete package. Beautiful. For a movie. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. Which is, I think, another reason why it survived the test of time so well. Yeah, despite being so incredibly dated in so many ways. Yes, exactly. Yeah. is Because the sort of spirit of it is still mm. relevant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I like this movie. I don't know if you could tell. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know if I'm going to give it that high of a mark, but I do like it. Like, It was certainly enjoyable and I really love what they've done and what they tried to do and what they wanted to do with it. Yeah, and if you thought I was enthusiastic about this, we're seeing Goonies in a few weeks. Yes. We're I seeing, am so excited. We're seeing Goonies for Katie's birthday. We are, and it's one of my favourite movies of all time. Mm. Yes. Okay, do you want to give your star yeah, rating? three and a half. Uh, I've never actually had to think about rating The Labyrinth before. It's surprisingly difficult. Yeah. Because it's hard to separate my nostalgia for it from my from how good it actually is. I guess I'll give it four and a half stars. I think that's as, pretty much as good as it can get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, um, I guess that I guess we're done for the show now. I think we've delved enough into Bowie's crotch and <laughs> oh God, delved into Bowie's crotch. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> that's really where you want to go with that. Yes. <laughs> that's where I wanted to go. <laughs> Man, there was some of the shot like there was this one shot of Hoggle kneeling down in front of him oh, and like I don't know I if you know. noticed, but I was crying laughing in the cinema. Like, oh my god. His penis is right there. I in his face. It's so crazy. I before I recorded this, I went and hung out on the um Tumblr Labyrinth tag and yeah. there's a I found a girl. Goblin King cosplayer, and she'd stuffed socks down there <laughs> just to make her costume accurate. <laughs> and if you look at his co- and the costume is actually on display at a studio somewhere. I don't know where. Do like a museum somewhere? And it's got socks, socks stuffed down the front just to make it look accurate. <laughs> that's so great! Oh, oh man. man! And that's the thing that everyone knows about this movie. It's Bowie's crotch and his and mullet. Uh, well, the mullet, yeah. That's- that hair is amazing. Mm. And there's that scene where he's throwing Toby up in the air and then there's like, he's so cute and he's playing with him and then it should take, uh, it mm. cuts to a further away scene and you can see him throw a doll <laughs> way up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and like whenever there's the far away scene, yeah. it's so, so clearly a doll. Like he's holding this thing mm. that's so obviously not a baby. Well, it seems like the child was not particularly, um, well, I mean, he was two, so, you know, be, what can you expect? But apparently he was not very compliant. Like, they had to change the character's <laughs> name to Toby, which is the actor's, the kid's yeah. name, because he wouldn't respond otherwise. <laughs> and there's apparently scenes where they had to, had like a sooty puppet off, off um, camera, like, so that he could, he would 
um, stop crying and pay attention to it. <laughs> There's so many scenes of that baby yeah, crying. Like that baby is. In fact, in that song, mm. it almost looks like David Bowie goes over to take the baby because the baby is crying. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he calms the baby down. He by does a whole. With it. He does a whole monologue. With, uh, where the bit where he's talking in the in his ear, the little boy's yeah. ear. He does that whole scene. He had a puppet on his other hand, oh, okay. keeping the baby calm while he did that scene. I just. Yeah, I don't think he was the most cooperative of the <laughs> the actors. Yeah, He's, you can um, see that he mm, cries in a lot of scenes. Yeah. I mean, he even scenes where there's no sound effect of him crying, that baby is crying. Yeah, he's um he was a, a crew member's kid. Yeah. So mum was a puppeteer and dad was one of the set designers or something like that. Yeah. So the kid himself, I went and looked him up because he was on the Labyrinth tag on Tumblr as well. <laughs> and um, he became like a creature slash visual effects person. Oh, that's so cool. He grew up to be that and he went to work for Weta. Oh, wow. Yeah. and he's, That's so cool. And the, um, the most recent credit I saw on his IMDb was um, uh, Paranorman. Oh, I like that Yeah, movie. so he's grown up to do really cool creaturey things. He's gone into the family business, as it were. <laughs> that always reminds me of um, Heather Langenkamp. She yeah. was the lead in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. No, Nightmare on Elm Street. Sorry, right. that was terrible. Yep. Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. And she is now a creature effects person and she was she did the makeup for and creature effects for star trek and stuff that's so cool so she ended up going into behind the scenes stuff for that yeah i always like that story i think it's great yeah and i, I like really like the story of Little and cabin well. in the woods she was on cabin in the woods oh she did makeup on that yeah yeah i like those kind of stories it's sweet it is sweet i like mm. that too i suppose we should wrap it up yes sorry no no that's all right <laughs> the best bit of the show was the bit after we said we gave our star reviews so it's all good <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you want to read our show notes, including links to all of the internet's various theories on Labyrinth, you can do so at our website, which is silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of uh, maybe not Labyrinth because she's seen that one a few too many times, but every new movie that she watches, you can do that at her blog, which is silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. If you want to come and talk to us, you can do that on our various social medias. You can come to our Twitter, which is at screen underscore queens. You can like us on Facebook or you can come and hang out with us on Tumblr, which is tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. We've been reblogging some really fun stuff on Tumblr lately too, so you should check it out. Bye.